back. We are going to be in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. And we're looking at lessons in obedience through the life of Jonah, um, hoping that we can learn uh, from somebody who didn't learn. So, um, let me find it. I've lost it. It fell out of my Bible somewhere. There it is. Jonah chapter 1. Last week we looked, or not last week, last week was Mother's Day, so we looked at the five mothers from the book of Matthew. And But the first time we were in Jonah, the week before, we looked at just an overview of the book of Jonah, kind of gave the background, the story of Nineveh, and uh, why, brought out into the light why we think Jonah was the way that he was, um, why he was so adamant against Nineveh. Um, so today we're going to get into uh, the meat of the message or the meat of the book and really just start to look at uh, what Jonah did and uh, how far he was willing to go to be to disobey God, how far he was willing to go uh, to let Nineveh die. And it's unfortunate that that is where he was because um, but it, it's a it's really a great picture for us today. How far are we willing to not go uh, to bring the gospel? What, what keeps us from proclaiming Christ? But Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to go ahead and start in verse number 1 and uh, read down through verse number 6. So Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down in, into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this glorious day, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to dive into the book of Jonah to really look at what you desire from us, Lord. Um, look at how you desire us to react, to follow you, to obey you. And Lord, hopefully we can see all of this through Jonah's complete disobedience. So Lord, please... Guide and direct, help us to not have to go through these trials and troubles and storms ourselves. Help us to learn from uh, the folly of others. And Lord, please, just be with us today. Let your word enter our hearts and take root and grow and mold us and shape us into the men and women that you'd have us to be. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Last, the first uh, lesson we looked at the call of Jonah. We looked at God saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. And we know that Nineveh was a great city. Um, in chapter 4, we see that there were six score thousand 
people in the city that didn't, couldn't discern their right from their left. Many believed that those were children. It would be 120,000 children. So they estimate the population of Nineveh to be up around or over a million people at this time. It's a large city. We know that Jonah, as he enters the city, it's a three days journey, three days walk to get through the city, and he enters a day into the city and uh, begins to cry against it. But we also know that the Ninevites were wicked and evil men and women. Uh, they, they were uh, ruling over Israel. They were, uh, Israel is in captivity at this time, and, and they, are, they are treating Israel as slaves, which God had them there for a reason. But um, Jonah, Jonah believed that God was going to deliver them from the cruelty of Nineveh. And uh, he was zealous in that thought that God was going to destroy Nineveh. Um, but he also says that he knows that God is a, a faithful God, that God is a loving God. So um, I'm not exactly sure how he could confuse these two, but uh, we saw the call and we saw and understood what Jonah was running from. So as we continue on, we get down to verse number 3. And we see that Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish. We looked at those two words down and we saw that, that uh, as we begin to fall away, as we've been going through the book of Judges in Sunday school, and we see that Israel is just slightly starting to turn away. But we know that once we start, it's all downhill. Uh, we know that uh, once we begin, it's very hard to return. It's very hard to come back. Many have likened the Christian life to a race, to a marathon. Paul himself uh, likens it to that. I prefer more to think of it as a rock climb. Uh, we're, we're not walking or running in a straight, flat surface. We're climbing. And every misstep could be doom could be the end i i picture uh you've seen on national geographic i'm sure those goats that are standing on the side of the mountain with their little feet just in impossible places knowing that watching them back and forth and, and not under I don't, I don't understand how they can do it um when i was a young man we were trail riding and this is kind of a rabbit trail but we were trail riding and we were down in um or sorry we were out in south dakota and uh, we had some people with us that rode mules. We were riding horses. Um, the main difference between a horse and a mule is mules have much smaller feet. And because of that, mules can go in places that horses can't. They can climb things that horses can't because they can get better footing. And uh, I ended up trying to follow this group of people that were on mules that didn't realize that we couldn't go where they were going and didn't realize that I was a somewhat inexperienced rider and I ended up falling off and rolling partway down the mountain and uh, didn't get hurt but was very embarrassed uh, but all it took was that one little misstep that one little slip and I was off and not where I should be but we see here as we get into this that Jonah uh, our lesson today he went and he found the ship, and in verse number three, he paid the fare thereof. 
Jonah had to pay uh, to disobey God. Um, you know, we were learning memory verses in Sunday school and we're going through uh, the Romans' roads and today's was Romans 6.23. Uh, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Those that truly follow Christ don't have to pay for it. It's free. And I brought up Gary and, and again, just be in prayer for Gary as we talked to him last week and in the hospital room as he's, uh, you know, he's been given the news that he really has very little time. We are trying to witness to him again and he says, yes, I've read the track that, that you've given me and I've read it multiple times and I'm just relying on the fact that my good works outweigh my bad. And if I'm wrong, I'm okay with that. He feels like he has to pay for what he's done in his life. He feels like he has to pay for heaven, but he doesn't understand that he can't. That it's physically impossible. Jonah here is paying to run away from God. And we're going to see he's going to pay in many ways. But it's interesting that how much, just how much running from the Lord costs us. Um, I I have little notes everywhere, but... uh, on Jonah chapter 1, I have this big sticky note. And um, there's a song that I heard. I don't remember when I heard it. I think it was after Rachel and I got married. But it was when we were at fellowship. But it's, it's, uh, it's one of the lines is, don't send me to Africa. It's, basically, it's a missionary song. And the missionary is saying, I'll go everywhere you want to go. Just don't send me to Africa. Well, go, guess where he ends up? He ends up in Africa. Um, this mirrors my own life. I, I have spent, from the time I got saved, I knew that I was called to preach. <laughs> I didn't know that I was called to be a pastor, but I knew that I was called to preach. I was called to proclaim God's word. And then in 2019, God revealed that he wanted me to pastor. And I began to pray, don't send me to Maxwell. I've spent 10, 12, 17, 18 years running from this place. This is where I grew up. This was... My home, I am, was, not anymore, but I was related to 85 to 90% of this town. Uh, and it was not a good influence on me. And I would pray and pray and pray that God would send somebody here that, he could, that would reach my family, that would get them saved, that would help them to understand. But I was never willing to come back myself. And we spent three, almost four years in Missouri where I would just struggled. I was trying to learn how to be a pastor, what it was to have a pastor's heart and, and what it was to be uh, the man of God that could lead but still not giving myself over to the fact that God was sending me here. Um, I, I'm, I'm hard-headed. <laughs> uh, these messages are, are stepping on my toes. I didn't wear my steel-toed boots today, but um, they're stepping on my toes and, and God is still drilling into me what it is to be a pastor, what what he expects from me, and unfortunately it's taking me a long time to learn it. Um, but we, we lose so much. It costs us so much. All the counterfeit religions out there, those that, that would uh, claim to know the Lord, 
it costs those people so much. Not even just their eternal soul. That's the most important thing. But throughout their life, it costs them so much. I, I can't imagine going to a church service several times a week and paying to light a candle, praying that I will get my loved one out of purgatory and buy their way into heaven. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that struggle. I know when my wife passed away in 2012, as I sat there that night listening to her take her last breath, reading my Bible, I was immediately overcome with joy. Not just because I was free. But, and it wasn't at all that. I was saddened. I, I was grieving the fact that she was gone, but I was joyous that she was looking at my Savior. I was jealous. Because I knew I had to stay here. <coughs> That's the one thing that has kept us going through all of this, through that year of wandering in the wilderness, of trying to keep these guys straight and not screw them up too bad. Thankfully, they were really young, and it just kind of all went over their heads. But was knowing that I didn't have to guess where she was. I don't have to go out to the cemetery and look at a headstone thinking that if I talk to her there, she can hear me. Because she can't. Her body might be there, but her spirit is with the Lord, and she has no more cares about us. She's learning from Christ. It costs us a relationship with the Lord. Our relationship is free, but when you run away, when you disobey, you sever that relationship. And I think, again, of my dad. We talked about him a little bit in Sunday school. and I was never real close with my dad. My biological father left when I was around a year old, and I, I'm still very distant from him. I don't I call him Paul. I call him by his first name. I've met him. He's saved. Praise the Lord. He got saved a couple of years ago. Um, but we don't have a relationship because he chose to leave. My dad, who adopted me when I was three years old, who raised me, who's uh, the father that I know, uh, the father figure that I know, the one that, without ever knowing God, pointed me to God and showed me God's love, we have a very strained relationship because we're both extremely stubborn and um, we just we don't get along. As a young man, uh, 15, 16 years old, I began to rebel against his, against his rules. Uh, not that I disagreed with the rules, I just rebelled against the man and uh, rebelled against, I thought I was, I thought I knew better. And because of that, we, we have very little communication even today. I haven't talked to him in several months. Um, I had to find out from other family members that he was going in to have surgery to remove colon cancer. Uh, and still, just... We see... We pay so much when we choose to disobey God. Jonah paid the fare, and he went down into the ship and began to travel. This is quite a contrast, and, and through this part, I'm going to contrast, uh, compare and contrast Jonah to Paul. Um, as I began to study and look at where Jonah went or where Jonah was headed, Tarshish is on the, the peninsula of Spain and 
Paul, on his last journey, was headed to Rome. They took basically the same route. They ran into what would be basically a very similar storm. But they came out of it completely different. And this is quite a contrast to Paul. Paul didn't have to pay a fare to enter the ship. He was forced onto the ship. Well, he went willingly, but he was on the ship in chains. But he was exactly where God wanted him to be, following the Lord to Rome. And because of that, while he was on the ship, the whole ship knew that he was different. He immediately stands up and questions the master of the ship and says, you shouldn't go here. You shouldn't leave now. He, he pushes the men to pray and fast. And when the storm comes, he stands up and leads the ship. He's essentially gone. Now, he didn't actually be, get promoted, but he's essentially gone from prisoner to captain. Paul is the one directing everybody in order for them to survive. They saw a difference. Jonah goes down into the bottom of the ship and goes to sleep in the middle of the storm. And they have no idea who he is. He's just like every other passenger. He's just like every other person they've ever met. They have no idea that he's a prophet of the Lord. Jonah boards the vessel and goes to sleep without a care in the world. He knows he's out of the will of God and he doesn't care. He's willingly rebelling against God. And he knows, I mean, we'll, we'll see in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4, he knows who God is. He knows God's power. So he's willingly putting all of these people in danger. <coughs> We're doing the same thing. We, we went to uh, Outback, or not Outback, Longhorn, uh, with Rachel's mom. And there were hundreds of people in that restaurant. And I sat there and ate my steak. I didn't get up and say anything. I didn't leave a track. I didn't. My excuse is, well, that's Arkansas. That's somebody else's circle. Why would I give the people in Arkansas a track for a church in Iowa that's really not quite a church yet? Those people didn't know who I was. It was easy for me to just be any other patron. I see these people, we, we've knocked a few of these doors and, and we've gone down to the market and, and but I see people here every day. I don't go outside and stop them in the street. There's no urgency. I don't know that I truly understand. I, I know I don't truly understand. I know none of us truly understand what hell will be like. But I do know that I, I don't give it enough credit. I know for a fact, if I looked over there as I'm, this is so distracting because I've got window and window and window and I see people going by and thinking, man, they should be here. I should run out and grab them by the hand and drag them into church. But I know as I'm looking out these windows, if I look and I see 
one of these houses on, is on fire and I think there's people in there, I'm going to leave this and I'm going to go do everything I can to get them out to make sure that they're not going to burn up in that house. Not just because I was a volunteer here, not just because that was my passion before I got saved, but because that's the right thing to do. But yet, all of these people are going to hell. And I, I haven't reached them yet. We've been here since July, almost a year. And we were just having a conversation with our friends in, in Missouri that there's 900 people in the town. It's about 500 doors. Uh, the church in Missouri that we came out of uh, had some people come in and help, and they knocked a 1,000 doors in one day. If Rachel and I went, we could cover this whole town in a week. Easy. But we haven't done it yet. We're sleeping. To the sailors, he looked like any other passenger, any other person in the world. He looked nothing like the prophet of God or even a follower of God. Paul began to fast and pray on his voyage and he begins to warn those in charge about what's coming. Because of this and many other things, he can without hesitation say that his hands are free from the blood of all men. I don't know that I'll ever be able to say that. I don't know that I'll ever be able to say that I've witnessed to everybody that God wanted me to witness to. But in all of this, as Jonah is in the ship and he's, he's sailing away, rebelling, God still wants to help. God still has a plan for Nineveh. The fact that God didn't just wipe Jonah off of the face of the earth as soon as he fled to Tarshish. The fact that I'm standing here today speaking to you means that God still has a plan. That God still wants to use us. My wife, Melissa, when she passed away in 2012, I had prayed for two years uh, that God would heal her like he did in the Gospels, that he would just remove all the cancer, um, and instead it got worse. And we we were saved. We'd been saved for five years at that point. We uh, were serving the Lord when she was diagnosed. We were teaching Sunday school, and I was running the sound booth, and, and we were learning and growing and being discipled in a small church, and... and I thought that God was going to heal her and we were going to be able to use that healing to teach about Him. And then she was gone. Her time was done. She had done what God had asked her to do. There was nothing left for her to do here. There, there was no other thing that she could do I truly believe that that if she had been spared if she had been had been healed and kept here I wouldn't be standing here today we wouldn't have she wouldn't have been willing to travel and 
go on the road as missionary builders. I would have never taken that opportunity. I would have never met the pastors that I met that gave me advice and took me under their wing and, and helped me understand God's calling and, and wanting me to pastor. We wouldn't be here. And I know for a fact that if she had not passed away, there are 500 people that sat at her funeral and heard the clearest presentation of the gospel I've ever heard that never would have heard it. And I know for a fact that there are men all over this country that I've been able to meet that are going through the same situation that I went through that would have never gotten to hear my testimony. In her death, she's affected so many more than she ever would have in her life. So God, there's still a purpose. Jonah, God could have just taken Jonah home, sent him away, and sent somebody else to Nineveh if he wanted to. But God wanted Jonah. God had a plan for Jonah. So God sends a storm. Just like with Paul. Paul, knowing where he was going, knowing why he was going there, he was going to Rome to die, and he knew it. And he was willing. But God still sent a storm. Jonah's storm was to correct disobedience. Paul's storm was to magnify God through Paul. Now, God was still magnified through Jonah, and we'll see that next week. But the main focus of Jonah's storm was correcting Jonah. Paul didn't need correction. That storm was for everybody else on the ship. God still wanted to help Jonah. I know my boys know that word help. They've heard it a few times. They don't want me to help them understand something. Jonah's route to Tarshish isn't that much different than Paul's route to Rome. Again, the difference was the intent of the trip. It's amazing what can be done if we will just completely give ourselves to God and not hold anything back. I have it written. This was just a thought in my head a while ago, but um, let me find it. Can't remember if it's in front of the back. Anyway, it says, uh, basically, it's be sure that God is placing your steps so that when you fall, He's there to catch you. And that's really why I picture so much the Christian life as this climb up a mountain. Because we have to be sure and place all of our faith in the steps that God is making us take. 
or God is asking us to take so that we have solid grips, solid foundation, even in the most perilous times. And, uh, I know right now that we are where we are supposed to be. I'm glad that the 2 by 4 finally worked and woke me up. But I also know that it's not easy. We have had storm after storm after storm in the last year. But that just serves to confirm that we're where God wants us to be. It doesn't mean that there's not room for improvement. It doesn't mean that, that I'm, I've arrived. It just means that I'm on the right path. I'm still not exactly in the will of God. I'm still just a little off center. <coughs> but I hope that I'm in the right, going in the right direction. Paul was able to save everyone on that ship. And then able to go to Rome and able to present God before Caesar. Jonah Jonah talks the men into trying to commit murder. But God is still glorified. As we go through the week, just seek the Lord and have faith in Him. As we looked at the book of Judges, Judah was told to go and fight against the Canaanites and he had a lack of faith and took Simeon with him. Axa, Caleb's daughter, uh, was not content with what her father had given her and she sought more. Let us today serve the Lord, being content with where He has us, understanding that He has us here for a purpose. And let us seek Him and just completely have complete faith in Him. It doesn't cost anything. It's free. <clears throat>